Hey everybody, welcome to the Ohio Bigfoot Project, the Ohio Bigfoot Podcast, powered by www.ohiobigfootproject.com and the Ohio Bigfoot Research and Investigation Center. I am your host, Mike, and I am here with another podcast. Yeah, just a quick one though, just a quick one tonight. So, as an avid bow hunter, I love it when new hunting tech comes out. Some of it is actually laughable. Some of it is something I would buy someday, perhaps, but don't need. And then some of it is, yeah, I gotta have that. I want it, I want it, I want it. Well, since my last podcast, I have been receiving many questions about the tech that I use. And I have to admit, I'm a little skeptical about sharing this, being as many times before, I have seen my ideas on other pages or other groups and whatnot. I've wrote theories, and I've even had videos pirated. So I'm doing this in good faith, and good, just good faith, that if my ideas, theories, or such is shared, I don't care. I'm putting the information out there. But just let people know where you heard it from. It's a small thing to ask, you know. So, but, you know, I, I don't absolutely, abs if I cared about whether or not it was shared, you wouldn't be hearing it on a podcast. So, um, yeah. Now, naturally, not all ideas are my own. And some I've, I have read in hunting magazines or seen on shows. But if that's the case, you'll always hear me mention the original creator. Or at least try to. But being as it was asked about uh, some of my favorite gizmos and gadgets, I thought I would do three things. I would share my best three tech that I use. My best three tip or five tips, and my best five tricks that I use when it comes to looking for Bigfoot. So, with that being said, I'm just going to dive right into it. Now, the number one thing that I use is transferred from my hunting, it's an app. It costs twelve ninety nine a year. It's called Hunt Stand, H U N T S T A N D. And let me tell you about this. First of all, I can look up property information. <clears throat> I can look up any property on the globe, well, United States, anyways, and I can tell you the name of the person who owns it. Not only that, I can find their contact information and how to get a hold of them. Uh, it shows public land, hunting land, private land, BLM or Bureau of Land Management, national land. It shows state-level land. 
And so it shows me areas that I can go to, especially for someone who is 100% a, someone who bow hunts on public land. I'm not a private land hunter. I like the challenge. So I only hunt public land purposely. And Hunt Stand is one of those apps that I use that shows me where these little lesser known areas are. Not only that, they have monthly satellite images of areas that you can overlook. You can get like your fellow researchers and you can sync your hunt stands together so when i build a map i can put pins on that map like hey i seen a an awesome 10 point buck here well i can share that pin with one of my buddies and he can look it up on his phone and his app so he can see my hunting area and my pins I can see his hunting area and his pins. Plus, there's a group message board in there, so you guys can all communicate together. But then it also has, not only can you add waypoints, but you can track your hike. You can look at distances and yardage. It shows you wind direction. And this is one of the things that I use a whole lot, constantly. Second thing I use is Zello, Z-E-L-L-O. It turns your cell phone through data for very, very, very little data usage into a two-way radio, kind of like the old Nextels, <clears throat> which is awesome because it's practically free. I don't pay any money for the app itself. I use the free version. And then the third thing I use is game call apps. Now the thing with game call apps is that you have to check the legality of them. If you're hunting for some species in Ohio, it's illegal to use electronic game calls, primarily for turkeys and deer. However, it's not for predator hunting like coyotes. So if you use the predator call apps or if you don't have hunting implements and you're using the other apps or the other calls, then legally you're okay. But you just want to double check your legality of it. These game call apps, if you hook your phone up to a Bluetooth speaker, then, you know, I, I can make that rabbit in distress call as long as... If I can put my speaker 150 yards away and my phone can still communicate with the speaker, I can play uh, rabbit calls, I can play mouse squeaks, I can play all that stuff and not have to be sitting right on top of the speaker. Now, my five best tips is remember I'm coming at this from the angle of a bow hunter. So I don't like a lot of light in the woods. So back in the 90s, I started buying those little itty bitty miniature light sticks, glow sticks that you would use for a uh, the tip of a fishing rod. And I'll snap one and I'll tape it to a piece of fishing line that is inside my hunting pack. 
and then I'll just drop it in there. So when it's early morning before sunlight, instead of lighting up a flashlight and giving away my location, I can just open my hunting pack quietly and that glow stick inside my hunting pack gives me just enough light so that I can see what I'm looking for. Now this next one is not my idea, but it's something that all hunters have always done. And it's to carry a, a hand rake or what we call a stick rake, a sapling. And if you're walking around soft, muddy ground where prints can easily be placed, you rake the entire area out from leaves. And you rake out all the mud. That way, when you come back to check that, and you do this on a regular basis because the animals will get used to it, but then you can start seeing the deer tracks, the raccoon tracks, the coyote tracks, the turkey tracks. You start getting a picture of what animals are using this particular trail or this particular area. One thing that I do, and I've, again I've done this for many, many years that can be transferred to Bigfoot, is to quiet your calling We've all seen the videos, or and we've even done it ourselves. I've done it where you go out in the woods and as loud as you can. Yeah, don't do that. Do that about half volume. Just trust me and try this one time. You don't have to do it every time. Just trust me and try it one time. And I'll tell you why. Because a coyote can hear this at a quarter of a mile away. Now, when that coyote hears that, he's going to come to that sound. It's called a mouse squeak. Okay, and I do that just literally with my mouth, no calls, no nothing. So, the quiet, here's how I figured this out. I was out deer hunting one day, and there was this huge buck up on this ridge above me. So I started grunting. Well, he came running right down the hill towards the grunt, which was fantastic. And he never slowed down, and he ran right under me, and he ran about 150 yards out past me into this field, and that's where he stopped to start looking for the buck. So I realized right then and there that I called him way too loud, that instead of doing that, what I should have done was and I would have sounded further away, so instead of running in to kick this buck's butt, he might have started just walking my direction. He might have afforded me the opportunity to take a shot. So when it comes to calling, I now there's and I don't do this all the time myself, but there's particular nights where I just go out and I do it at half volume because I want to sound twice as far away as I actually am. So if something is traveling from my left and it's heading to my right, if I'm sounding loud and close, it's going to stop on my left. But if I call quietly 
and it thinks it's on my right, it might slowly start to move that way and cross in front of me. <clears throat> now, one thing I've been working on for many years, and I still don't have down, still don't have it perfect, I've broken a blue million of them, is the knocking stick. I've seen a lot of people use baseball bats, and I've tried this too. And it makes such a dull thud. Now when you knock, there are sound waves that you don't hear that travel through the woods. And I'm not trying to make the stick boom. I'm trying to make the sound wave boom. So what I like to do is I take a bat and I drill holes in it. I drill one from the fat end about halfway through the center and then I fill it up with the expand of foam to give it a little bit of body so it doesn't shatter. And then I drill holes through it left and right. And I fill those with foam. And it's those quiet voids that increase the base of the knock. See, bass doesn't travel very loud through a woods. But treble does. That's why that coyote can hear at almost a quarter of a mile. That's why a turkey can hear that from a very, very, very long distance. So when I turkey hunt, I don't call loud. I call very softly, very quietly, because I don't want that turkey to think that the hen it's looking for is sitting in my lap. I want it to think it's just in the general area, but not pinpoint where it is. And then I've killed a ton of turkeys that way. Now, moving in, well, no, I guess I got one more, one more tip. And that's climbing sticks. And the bow hunt hunting world we have uh, tree stands and I generally don't use them but I do have the climbing sticks and whatnot and I'll tell you what I do with them is I use my climbing sticks to put my cameras up my trail cams and I'll tell you why because when I go into a state park and I'm putting up cameras for uh, Bigfoot I can't tell you how many cameras I've had stolen I can't tell you how many cameras I've had stolen by other hunters so I started using my climbing sticks and putting my cameras 15 feet off the ground and then putting a, a branch behind them so that they're slightly angled downward at about a 45 degree angle at the max. I, I generally try to go for about 60 degrees. And that has been very, very, very productive for me. Now for the top five tricks. One of these tricks is the two weeks after gun deer season. I call this the predator weeks. If you're familiar with shark week, well, gun deer season is that for predators. You see, directly after bow season ends, or gun deer season ends, rather, a lot of guys take pop shots at deer. They don't always get them. Some guys can't track worth a darn, so they shoot a deer, but they lose it. They lose the blood trail. 
So now you have animals dying in the woods. Well, for a coyote, a Bigfoot, any animal, a wounded deer is much, much, much easier to catch than a full-blown healthy animal. <clears throat> so these wounded deer, you will see an increase after the weeks of uh, gun deer season and coyote activity because they know those deer are out there. They can smell the blood. They can smell the rot. They can smell the gut piles that hunters leave behind and your average hunter, not me, will leave behind the heart and the liver. Two of the most prized cuts. So after deer season, when these wounded animals and gut piles are on the landscape, or they go clean in the air and then they take the carcass back out to the woods and throw the carcass back out, predator animals have a heyday with this for about two weeks. And uh, it's a very exciting time to be in the woods as a big footer another one is at the very least buy your fishing license at the very most buy your hunting license and i'll tell you why there's a couple reasons take for instance woodbury wildlife area has a free sportsman's camp campgrounds just for sportsmen it opens up the third friday in september it runs all the way through hunting season and it generally closes around february sometimes march sometimes april and sometimes as late as may lately it was uh april i believe but here's the thing you can camp there for free as long as you have a hunting license or a fishing license but if you don't, you can get kicked out of that campground. If you've ever been to a state wildlife area doing Bigfoot research like Salt Fork State Park, Mohegan State Park, <clears throat> technically speaking, the state park police and game wardens, if you notice when you enter those parks, there's always a sign. Area closed at 11 p.m., and then in small writing underneath, except for those actively hunting or fishing. Okay, there's a reason why those are called wildlife areas. It's because the sale of, from hunting and fishing licenses is what pays for them. So I've literally been at state parks at a uh, hunting area, wildlife area. And I've watched people get kicked out of the park. I've heard the ranger tell them or the game warden or the state park police, you know, you're allowed to be here until 11 p.m. After that, you need to be gone. So uh, with that, as long as I have my hunting license and it's hunting season, which, by the way, coyote season stays open year-round in Ohio. So I have my bow. I have my proper permits, I have my proper equipment. Any of those law enforcement officers come up to me and say, hey, the park leaves at, or closes at 11 p.m. And say, well, that's when I'm getting ready to walk into the woods. What do you mean? You're not allowed to hike at night. No, no, no. I'm coyote hunting. Oh, 
oh wow oh okay yeah well if you go da 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 and the information starts flowing for one but for two they get excited for three they won't kick you out of the park you're allowed to stay because you have your hunting license where you're actively fishing so which leads me to another one is after dark after when it gets close to that 11 p.m. mark I don't want to look like a Bigfooter I have a hoodie that has my uh you know Ohio Bigfoot Research and Investigation Center and whatnot the Ohio Bigfoot project on it once it gets close to dark that hoodie gets taken off or a t-shirt gets put on over top of it because I don't want to look like a Bigfooter because technically speaking you can get kicked out of the park because you're not actively hunting wildlife ODNR doesn't recognize it right but um they understand predator hunting and coyote hunting and fishing and raccoon hunting and fur bear permits and trapping and so you're legal you're allowed to be there and then another one which these this one along with the hunting and fishing license all kind of play together <clears throat> one is your base layer rain suit if it's raining, a lot of people will put their uh, rain suits on on the outside of their clothes as they're walking through the woods. Yeah, I've done that on hunting trips. I bought brand new $20, $30, $40 rain suits. Came out of the woods and it looked like a bobcat tried to tear me up because they got caught and hung up on briars and ripped to shreds. <clears throat> so I put on my base layer. Then I put on my rain suit. And then I put on a water wicking outer layer. And this does two things. One, it keeps the brush from tearing up your rain suit. The other thing, if you wear water wicking clothing, it pulls the water and the moisture away from your rain suit and towards the outside of your clothing so that it can leave the clothing quicker. So it might make you a little bit heavier that can actually add to your warmth as long as you're dry so I never wear my rain suit my rain gear on the outside of my clothes because the woods will tear the crap out of it and it doesn't matter if it's frog togs it doesn't matter the if you can get the good stuff doesn't matter rain gear is no match for brush and briars but that outer layer will help keep your rain suit from getting destroyed as bad where you can actually get multiple uses out of it. Which comes to hug the ugh. I know that sounds weird, but hug the ugh. Hunting takes place in the coldest time of the year. And it takes some real mental power to want to go out and freeze your butt off to maybe see a deer. And a lot of people don't go fishing in the rain or hunting in the rain or hunting in the snow. But that's when I love to. If you remember the other podcast, if you listened to it about the camper slap, there was tornado warnings all over the state. 
the entire team said, no, nah, we ain't going out into the woods. Wife and I went out into the woods. We had the one of the most amazing possible encounters you could hope to encounter. Because we, we, we hugged the ugh. I really don't want to go out, but I'm going out. And because we did that, we had an amazing possible encounter. And uh, a little known secret is that and this comes from the old timers and is still practiced today. But you always hunt or fish the storm front. When that barometer starts dropping, yeah, wildlife goes insane. They feel that drop. They start a feeding frenzy. They start moving like nobody's business. So being out there just ahead of that storm is when wildlife is at its most active or the fish are biting the most. So being out there in that crappy weather, embracing that, can give you some amazing results. Which brings me back around towards the hunting and the fishing license thing <clears throat> and not looking like a Bigfoot researcher. Years ago, I heard it said that if you ever want to see an entire room full of unbreedable humans, go to a Bigfoot conference. This guy didn't know I was a Bigfooter, by the way, Bigfoot researcher. But it was his concept that a bunch of nerds, geeks, and unbreedable humans go to Bigfoot conferences. Which, I, let's face it, we can kind of get that. We are nerds. I mean, after all, if you're in the academia of scientifics, then, um, you know, an anthropologist, archaeologist, and you start toting off that about your Bigfoot belief, it can actually be damaging to your career, and you can get passed up for um, promotions or tenure and whatnot if you are familiar with the awesome guy who I once got to meet, Dr. Grover S. Krantz. It was, I absolutely enjoyed meeting him. But he battled this on more than one occasion. But, uh, yeah, a lot of people don't like Bigfooters. They, they don't take us serious. They think we're nuts, flat out, a lot of them. And so when you run across, again, that park ranger or that game warden, that state park police, and it's after 11 o'clock, 11 p.m., he can literally tell you to get your geeky butt out of there. But if you have that hunting license or that fishing license, and you go out of your way to not look like a Bigfooter, he can't tell you to leave. You can legally, literally, with every ounce of confidence, Grab a flashlight and walk into the woods right in front of him. And he cannot stop you. He can check your license. He can do that. But usually they're happy to see you. And sadly, this is because of other Bigfoot groups. Years ago, when I researched at Salt Fork State Park, there was a group came in, set up this huge tent, this awning in the parking lot. And they had floodlights. I mean, it, it, this parking lot looked like an airport, not a backwoods 
nature-esque parking lot. And they had this PA system where they were blasting these sounds, blasting these screams. And I watched the park police throw him out of the park. And he walked over to me, and he was mad. You know, he was upset about what he had to deal with. And he's like, what about you guys? Talking to me and my wife. And we pointed to our fishing rods, show them the fishing licenses. You guys are good. And off he went. Never said a word to us. But we watched him kick that other group out of the park. So that's where some of that comes from. So anyways, guys, that's this episode. I'm going to wrap this one up. I hope a little bit of that information will, uh, you can find some use out of it or provide to be useful for you. It's not that hard to get your hunting license. You can do it online through a classroom. Takes a few hours. Well, quite a few hours, but still. You don't have to hunt. You just have to look like the hunter. I mean, that's all there is to it. But just that simple license or permit can open up wildlife areas for you when all others are supposed to leave. And you can literally go start walking in the woods at night. So, especially here in Ohio. In Ohio, primarily most land is public land owned by the state of Ohio. The only BLM land we have is Wayne National Forest, which there you can camp for free too. But you don't have to be hunting. You can be a mountain biker, an ATV person. It don't matter. You don't have because that's BLM. But BLM is totally different than state managed land. State managed land camping is prohibited, except for some select parts. But there's sportsmen's camps. And you have to have those licenses and permits in order to utilize them. Otherwise, you can be asked to leave. So, there's a few tips for you. And, uh, you know, I hope you guys found it interesting. If you did, you know, feel free to email me. Ohio underscore Bigfoot at Yahoo. Or to the website, OhioBigfootProject.com. And uh, last weekend, I was hoping to get out into the woods. Well, I did, but I didn't have a service. So this weekend, I'm going out into a new area, hopefully a little less backwoods, to where I at least have service, and might be possibly doing a live show if I can pull it off. If not, I'll at least have my podcast equipment with me, the portable studio. But everyone have a great rest of your week, and uh, enjoy this weekend.